0: Our second reading this morning is from the Gospel of John chapter 3. I will read from verse 22 through verse 36. John 3:22 through 36. Hear the word of God. After this Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside And he remained there with them and was baptizing. John was also baptizing at Anon near Salim because the water was plentiful there and people were coming and being baptized for John had not yet been put into prison. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, He who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing, and all are going to him. John answered, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hands. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. It seems that we have come to assume that great men and great women are permitted outsized egos. It seems like we've come to assume that when you're at the top of the heap that you've earned the right to trash talk lesser mortals and behave outrageously toward those beneath you. But two of the greatest men who ever lived Moses and John the Baptizer were men of unusual humility. And I don't think this combination of greatness and humility was simply random or accidental. I believe that God was able to use them for great things because they were unusually humble. In the kingdoms of this world, it seems acceptable for powerful men and powerful women to speak with contempt and condescension toward those who are less powerful, but in the kingdom of God, that's just not an option, and that's because the kingdom of God is not our idea and it's not our creation. We didn't invent the kingdom of God, and we don't build the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is God's creation. It is the visible work of the Holy Spirit. Yes, God uses people to work in that kingdom. Yes, God empowers and equips people to do great things for that kingdom. But when God plans to do something great in his kingdom, he doesn't go through a stack of resumes and look for the most talented and the most credentialed individual to do the work. When God decides to launch a new evangelism campaign, when he decides to plant a new church, when he decides to build a new homeless shelter, God doesn't go looking for the resume with the most outstanding accomplishments and the strongest letters of recommendation. He doesn't say to himself, hey, now here's a man who can get the job done, or gosh, I sure wish I had seen her resume last year. No, God has this funny way of working with humble people. And I don't mean just people who are humble in spirit. Yes, that's a requirement, but I also mean people who are humble in accomplishments. Moses. The man who leads the Israelites out of Egypt, who brings the law of God down off of Mount Sinai, who single-handedly shaped a bunch of nobodies into a nation, a holy nation. Moses couldn't even talk straight. He was a stutterer. He was so ineloquent that his brother Aaron had to talk for him. But that's who God chose. One of the requirements for the job that Moses did have was humility. And God provided the rest. While the kingdom of this world doesn't care much for humility, yes, nice guys often finish last. While the kingdom of this world doesn't care much for humility, it is a requirement for participation in, in the kingdom of God. And that's because pride and arrogance and hubris get in the way of God being able to work through us. They stand in the way of God being able to use us to build his kingdom. You see, the kingdom of God is actually accomplished by God, not by us. Oh, we get the privilege of participating in what God is doing in his kingdom, but he's really the one who's doing the work. We get to participate in what God is doing in his amazing amazing kingdom by humbly bringing ourselves to God and saying, Here I am. Please, use me. I'm not a great public speaker, but use me to preach your word. I'm not a great teacher, but use me to lead a small group Bible study. I'm not a great prayer, but use me to pray for this grieving mother. I'm not a great organizer, but use me to coordinate a ministry. I'm tongue-tied around strangers, but use me to speak a kind word to that lonely person. I'm freaked out by hospitals and illness, but use me to visit those who are sick. I'm lousy at making money, but use what money I have to support your work. I'm not a great cook, but use me to bring food to someone who is homebound. We enter the kingdom of God by being born again, Remember what Jesus said to Nicodemus, unless one is born again, one cannot see the kingdom of God. We're born again by placing our trust and our faith in Jesus Christ. That faith establishes a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, a relationship in which we are adopted as sons and daughters of God, a relationship that cannot be broken no matter what, a relationship that will last all of eternity. And once we are in that relationship, our eyes will be opened to see the kingdom of God. It is in our midst, Jesus tells us. It is all around us. And then we are called into working for that kingdom. Ephesians 2.10 says, We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good work, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Do you understand what that means? That means if you are born again, if you are a follower of Jesus, then God created you to do good works. And God prepared that work for you to do a long time ago. He knew you were coming and he made a job just for you. A kingdom job. And you don't need a padded resume. To get that job, all you need is humility. And that's because it is God who does the work through you. But if you are proud, your pride will block God's ability to work in you. When we are proud, when we are arrogant, we operate in our own power and out of our own accomplishments. But God just isn't interested in those things. The world is, that's for sure. The world will honor you for your power and your accomplishments, but God couldn't care less because the very best you can do through your power and accomplishment is just nothing. A big fat zero when compared with what God can do through you if you will let him. I remember hearing about Georges Perrier, the founder of Bec Fam, which for 40 years, was the finest French restaurant in the United States. Perrier would get heaps of applications from people from all over the world wanting to work in his famous kitchen, each one of them telling him all of the wonderful things that they knew how to do, all of the important restaurants they had worked in, all of the wonderful dishes they had mastered, all of the awards they had won, and Perrier wasn't interested the people Georges Perrier hired were the ones who said that they wanted to work for him because they wanted to learn how to cook and they thought they might learn something in his kitchen. Do you see the difference? In Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29, Jesus says, quote, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest from your souls. If the master is gentle and lowly in heart, that means humble, then surely those who follow the master need to be the same way. We all can bring to Jesus. Well, let me say that again. All we can bring to Jesus, all we can bring to the kingdom of God is our humble willingness to, to learn, and to be of service. Our Old Testament reading this morning has us back in the book of Numbers for the second time in two weeks. This may be a trend. Last week we had the strange story of Moses and his bronze snake. This week we have the story of Moses and Eldad and Medad. You don't really hear those names much these days, Eldad and Medad. I'm hoping that some of our new babies who will be born in this coming year here at HVPC will be named Eldad and Medad. If they're girls, you can call them Eldadet or Medadina. Just a thought. Anyway, Moses was the big kahuna the number one man, the great prophet of God. His position was unquestioned and unsurpassed in the nation of Israel. They're all still wandering around in the wilderness at this time. And one day, Eldad and Medad begin to prophesy. The Bible tells us that the Spirit rested upon them. And then Joshua, who was Moses' assistant, his aide-de-camp, comes running to Moses and says, My Lord Moses, stop them! Don't let them prophesy. You're the prophet. Don't let them preach. You're the preacher. Joshua is jealous for Moses. He wants to protect Moses' exclusive control on prophecy in the nation. He wants to ensure that there are no rivals for Moses' power and leadership. Moses' power, of course, comes entirely from the fact that he is the one through whom God speaks to these people. And if someone else comes along speaking the word of God to the people of God, then Moses' position would be threatened. Joshua's loyalty is admirable, but it is misplaced. Moses says to him, would that all the Lord's people were prophets that the Lord would put His Spirit on them all. Or, I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put His Spirit on all of them. The Spirit of God was upon Moses, and Moses did speak the Word of God to the people of God, but he didn't feel threatened by others who were doing the same thing. He felt no need to be superior to them. He had no desire to lord over the people. He was willing to share his position and power, even if that meant he wasn't in the exclusive number one position. That's because he realized it wasn't really about him at all. Sure, God used Moses because Moses was willing to humbly make himself available to God. God used him. God spoke through him. Moses was a channel of God's blessings. But if God wanted to use other people, if God wanted to speak through other people, if God wanted to employ other people as a channel of blessing for the children of Israel, Moses was perfectly fine with that. Because being a prophet really wasn't about Moses anyway. God wanted to communicate with his people. That's what was important. And God could use anyone and everyone to do his talking, if he wanted to. And so Moses, in his humility, is not threatened by what Joshua perceives to be a challenge to the position and the authority of Moses. That's a lesson for all of us in ministry. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you are in ministry. That's a lesson all of us in ministry should learn whatever role you have in the kingdom of God whether you're a preacher or a teacher or a helper or a singer or a committee chair or the person who opens the door so that people can come in whatever role you have in the kingdom of God it is a role you can share with others and not be in any way diminished yourself because it's not really about you your ministry is not about you it's about the people that you serve and and if others want to help serve those peoples as well, then let them Hannah Kirsten who is our director of discipleship, held a meeting recently for leaders of small group Bible studies and one of the things she encouraged all of the leaders to do is to be intentional about raising up and mentoring other people to take their jobs rather than trying to control their groups, each small group leader should look for someone who would do just as good a job as them. Moses, the greatest prophet of all time, said, I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on them. The prophet Joel, one of the so-called minor prophets, foresaw the time when the Messiah would come and the church would be born, and he said, It shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions, even on the male servants and the female servants. In those days I will pour out my Spirit. The Apostle Peter on the day of Pentecost the birthday of the church, quotes this prophecy of Joel as he is preaching to the people in the streets of Jerusalem to explain to them what in the world is going on. You remember the day of Pentecost, The Holy Ghost falls on the followers of Jesus who were hiding in an upper room, came upon them with wind and fire, and they all began to proclaim the good news about Jesus, and people in the city heard them preaching in many different languages. Each person heard the preaching in their own language. These followers of Jesus preached with great boldness, completely unafraid, though Jesus had been crucified not long before, and they knew that their lives were at risk. They preached, men and women, old and young, slave and free, all followers of Jesus, all proclaiming the good news under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, using words such as were given to them by God in the moment. It was an amazing breakout of the kingdom of God bursting into the world in a fresh way. And it wouldn't have been possible if Peter or the other leaders of the church had been jealous of their position. It wouldn't have been possible if the leaders of the church hadn't been humble enough to know that it's really not about them. What really matters is not their power and control, but that God opens as many channels as possible to get the good news out to as many people as possible. This sermon was supposed to be about our reading from the Gospel of John, so (laughs) let's bring this back to Jesus and John the Baptizer. Jesus and his disciples are baptizing people in the Judean countryside. John and his disciples are baptizing people at Anon near Salim because there was lots of water there. And one of John's disciples is jealous of Jesus and his disciples. John's disciple says to John the baptizer, Rabbi, he who is with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness. Look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. And you know what John says? John, who was a very important prophet. John says, I am not the Christ. John says, he must increase and I must decrease. It is a great privilege to, To be called into the work of the kingdom of God. The works that we have been called into were planned for us by God, especially from before the foundation of this world. The works that we have been called to are part of why God saved us. But our ability to live into that calling requires our humility, our recognition that it's never about us. That it's just God working through us and he can work through other channels just as well. And that we always need to be ready to step aside and let someone else have the reign of power and the limelight when the time comes. There are many times when the work of the church is impeded. There are many times when The kingdom of God is thwarted by people who forget that it's not about them. By people who are more interested in ruling than in serving. By people who cling to control rather than sharing the power. There are two great themes throughout all of scripture. Number one, who is God? And number two, Who are we? The Bible reveals the glory and the majesty of God, and the Bible reveals our brokenness and desperate need for God's help. In the kingdom of God, we broken, fallen people, redeemed by faith in Jesus Christ, begin to participate in what God is doing in his creation. We are granted the privilege to share in his great work, To do that great work, we need to keep reminding ourselves, first, that it's all about God and his glory, and second, that we cannot do anything apart from God. Being near to God requires humility. The Bible says God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. The grace of salvation and the grace to work in his kingdom. I've said it a bunch of times before, But let me say it again if you're new around here. A preacher is always preaching to himself. And so the example of Moses welcoming Eldad and Medad as fellow prophets, the example of John the Baptizer being content that people are flocking to Jesus, those are examples to me of how I need to live. And so I don't say to you anything that I don't also say to myself. May we be a church filled with people who are constantly welcoming new people into what God is doing here. May we be a church filled with people who are constantly making room for other people to have a chance to serve and to lead. May we be a church filled with people so focused on the glory of Christ that we forget our own glory. Amen. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, you alone are worthy of all glory and honor and praise. And we pray this day that you would turn our eyes away from ourselves and turn them to you. Give us such a large view of you that we shrink tiny, into some small corner of your grand work. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.